Okay, we are in Sefer Malachim Beis, Perik Chof Aleph, Pasuk Yutes, Ben Esrim Ustayim Shana Amon B'Malcho. So we saw at the beginning of Perik Chof Aleph a depiction of Menashe, the worst king in Israel, in Judea, the man is a total portrait of malevolence, venality, unmasked evil. There are no shades of gray. He is evil incarnate. He, for example, goes back and takes every Abodazara in the catalog, from that which the Jews practiced in the Midbar to that which they did in Canaan. He goes to the Baal, the Ashtoreth, the Molech, the Yedonim, the sorcerers, the astrologers. He worships the sun, the moon, every imaginable Avodazara, but goes a step further than any of his predecessors and puts them in the Beis Hamikdash. He just plants them in the Beis Hamikdash. We saw that Achaz, his grandfather, wanted to build a bummer, but he didn't dare build it in the base Hamikdash. He built it on top of the roof. He wouldn't dare go in the base Hamikdash. This Menashe has no such reservations. Paradoxically, we see he rules for 55 years, the longest reign of any king of either the Ten Tribes or Yehuda. And his behavior beyond that is Unlike Pratt, he will kill anyone that stands in his way, any opposition. The Mephoshim say he even kills the Navi Yeshayahu, probably one of the most beloved prophets of all time, who prophesied over a period of 70, 80 years. He kills him and throw into that combination, Yeshayahu was his grandfather. The man has no scruples, no mercy, and out of that we see for the first time ever the Kaddish Baruch who says, not conditionally, but absolutely, to the tribe of Yehuda, you are going into exile. Um, you're irredeemable. So we see what emerges is a, just a total picture of pure, naked evil. And yet, and yet, if you consult Mephorshim, and Agadata, and as we're going to see, Divri Hayomin, there is a totally different side to Menashe, even, you might argue, very extenuating circumstances. Before you get there, can I ask a question about his evil? Its focus is on Abodazara, but from a modern person, the fact that he killed people indiscriminately would seem to be worse. So the question is, is that kind of is that connected? Is Abodazara connected to indiscriminate murder of innocent people? Not necessarily, no. Here it, it's more a question of just a tyrannical despot who just life is cheap to him. The people are cheap. I don't think you can draw a line between Abodazara and indiscriminate killing, because there are a lot of other kings that didn't resort to this. He's doing this as, you know, retaining his power, so, instilling so fear. So does that mean that from, our, from the perspective of 
of the Navi that Avodazara is a worse sin than murdering people? Well, th- those are the or, big three, Avodazara, Sri Chashnami, um, spilling of blood, and Gilu Arroyos. And by the way, he's guilty of all three. It doesn't really talk in Navi, in the Navi, it doesn't really talk about the killing. It only talks about the Avodazara. No, no, no. It says blood ran from one end of Jerusalem to the other. They're very specific. So now let's just discuss some of the extenuating circumstances at war. There's a famous, famous Agatha, one of the most famous in Sanhedrin, Jakub Bey's Amidala. Partly let's read it, partly let's discuss it. The story is told of Ravashi, a great teacher in the uh, age of Tanaim, and he tells his class, tomorrow we are going to discuss uh, the three kings, our colleagues, he uses the word, and the three kings who will have no chilek in Olam Haba, and we will start with Menashe. That night, Menashe appears to Ravashi in a dream. And he says, how dare you refer to us as your colleagues, etc., as your equals. And he proceeds to ask him a question, a very abstruse question specifically, how do you cut the challah? Where do you cut the challah from? And he gives a total dissertation on it. Ravashi can't answer it. He gives a total dissertation that Ravashi is just blown away. Blown away by the man's learning. Blown away by the man's mastery of halacha. And finally he asks him the, the million dollar question. Let me read it. Says Ravashi to Menashe. Since you are so learned why did you go so deeply in Avodas Tochavim? Omar Manasha, he says to him, and in a famous reply, if you were there, have Nikita Bishipule Glima Rechata Avrasai. You would have lifted the bottom of your garments so that you could get more traction to run after me to the temples of Avodah Zorah. In other words, that's how addictive it was. That's how powerful but, it was. But, let, but let's, but, but it's, a, it's a cop-out because his father wasn't like generations earlier. It was just his father who was not practicing Avodah Zorah. Right, right, right. But he's saying in his ear, his ear was a long era, and as we see, it's a pendulum. It swings back and forth. So he says, you would not be able to resist Rabbanon. The next day, Ravashi said to his Talmudim, as he began his lecture, Niftach Berabuse, let's commence today our lecture with our teachers. In other words, he tips his hat, as it were, to the sheer learning that this killer, this Avodah Zara practitioner, allegedly had. And from this, we learn that in the end, nobody 
can combat Avodah Zarah. They had to go to the Sanhedrin and have them pray to the Kaddish Baruch who eliminate the Taiva, uproot the obsession with Avodah Zarah, not uproot people of Avodah Zarah. They had to eliminate the addiction to Avodah Zarah. It's, it's, it's clearly not true, right? Because many Jewish leaders, many resisted, resisted, of course, of course, of course. Now, we go to Jibri Hayyamim. Jibri Hayyamim tells stories that, let me just quote one to you. The point they make is that in his 55-year reign, Menashe was evil, all the evil you read in Malachim Beis, for the first 23 years. After that, I'm sorry, 22 years, the next 33, he has done complete tshuva and is a different man. So let's just read one little paragraph. He is arrested, Menashe, in the middle of his reign by the leaders of Ashur of Assyria, and they take him away in chains to Babel. And he prays there to the Kaddish Baruch and he humbles himself before the Kaddish Baruch Hu. By Yispalel Elav, he prays to him. By Yetzalo, he beseeches him. By Yomer Tachnoso, he pours out his heart. By Yishevehu, Yerushalayim Lamalchuso. And he is restored to Yerushalayim, to his palace, to his kingship. By Yedah Menashe, Ki Hashem Hu Elohim. And Menashe now knows that God is the supreme being. After this, he builds Banachoma around Yerushalayim, and he builds up the wall, and he builds up the temple. Now continue. He removes the strange gods, the idols, the icons, the statues, the altars, Ves Hashem El Mi Beis Hashem from the Beis Hamikdash, the Chol Hamizvachos Hashem Bona Bahar Beis Hashem of Yerushalayim. Everything he is built in the temple that defiles the temple and desecrates it by Yishlach Chutzolaiir. He throws out to the end to the out of the city by Yivanis Mizbeach Hashem. He builds an altar to the Kaddish Baruch Hu. By Yizbach Olav Sivchei Shlamim, he's doing Korban Shlamim, Petoda, by Yomer Yehuda, La'avod es Hashem Elokei Yisrael. He instructs all the people of Judah to worship their God. Avolod Ha'am Zofim Ha'bamos, they are still using those private bamos. Rat Lashem Elokei Hem. Only though this time it's to their God, it's not to other gods. Now, Yesedivri Menashe, you will see uh, in the book Al Divri Malche Yisrael, Usviloso, Veheterlo, Vecholchatoso, all of this is forgiven. All the places he built, Asherim and Pesilim and Baal, because of his humility, he is forgiven. And now So now you would be perfectly within the rights to ask, 
why are we getting such a different picture in Divrei Hayomim and in the Agadata of Menashe than we got in Malachim Beis? Malachim Beis, there's no shades of gray, there's no repentance. The answer, of course, comes to the differences between Divrei Hayomim and Malachim Beis. <clears throat> and the reason being that it is written by two different Nevi'im. Malachim Beis is written by Yirmiyahu. Um, Tivrei Hayamim is written by Ezra. They are two different Nevi'im in two different centuries with two different agendas. The agenda of Yirmiyahu is Nevius, the prophecy, the warning that if you don't repent, if you don't do this and this, there's going to be destruction. What happens to the Nevi'is, the prophecies of Malachim Beis, is that the stories are so interesting that they overshadow that the purpose is really prophecy, is to warn B'nai Yisrael. And so it paints a portrait with all the warts. It paints David. David sinned with Bathsheba, there are five prakim on it. He kills Uriah Hachiti. He spends the rest of his life in atonement. Shlomo marries the daughter of Paro and plunges into Avodah Zorah himself near the end of his reign. None of this appears in Divrei Hayomim. Divrei Hayomim does not mention Bathsheba, does not mention Basparo except fleetingly once. It does why? Because they are there to show the prophecy, the punishment that does come. Ezra has a different task. Ezra is in Golis. His job is to get B'nai Yisrael out of what seems to be a very comfortable exile in Bavel, back to build the temple. And so when he writes Divrei Hayamim, he writes it showing the grandeur of what they had, the national longing, the temple, the greatness of David, his conquest, his sickness, of Shlomo, his wisdom, the building of the base Hamikdash. It is there to a different agenda. And so it is barely mentioned there. It is, as historians say, but not negatively, Divrei uh, Hayomim does a whitewash. You can't say it's a total whitewash because you have Malachim Beis as the primary text, but it is a whitewash. It's designed to evoke an era of national grandeur. And so he's saying to the Jews of Babel, Menashe, arguably the worst king in world history, did Shuva. He only did this after 22 years. In 22 years, thereafter, he was a true Eved Hashem. He was a true Talmud Chacham. If he could do tshuva, you could do tshuva. And that is the agenda, to return B'nai Yisrael to build the temple by invoking the grandeur. And if it means omitting, whitewashing, downplaying certain things, so be it. And so that is why you have the essential difference in Divrei Hayamim. And Divrei Hayamim ends the last sentence with Koresh, King Cyrus, saying, Jews, go back 
and builds your temple as it once was. So that he has accomplished Ezra in the sense of what he has sought to do to begin to bring the population back to the temple. And that is why you have some of these essential differences. And it could be the, the Agatha supports it. That story with Ravashi supports it, that Menashe, in fact, did tshuva. So now we have seen the pendulum swing violently between great kings from Yosom to the uh, wicked Ahaz, from Ahaz to Chizkiyahu, one of the greatest kings of uh, Yehuda, down to Menashe, the worst. Now we have every expectation that Menashe's son Yehoash will swing the pendulum back to righteousness. You would think that, but you would be totally wrong. In many ways, Yehoash goes further in certain specifics and certain uh, behavior than his evil father Menashe. 8.45 a.m. tomorrow, Adi